Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Uh, I'm glad you could join us for this very important podcast. I'm delighted to introduce Dr. Brent Willock. He is a very distinguished um, psychologist and psychoanalyst. In addition to being the chief psychologist at the Hinks Treatment Center in Toronto, he has been an adjunct faculty member at York University and an associate faculty member in the School of Graduate Studies at the University of Toronto. He is the president of the Toronto Institute for Contemporary Psychoanalysis and serves on the board of the Canadian Institute for Child and Adolescent Psychoanalytic Psychotherapy. He's a faculty member in the postgraduate program in psychoanalysis and psychotherapy at Adelphi University's Derger School of Psychology. He is also a writing mentor for my very own institute, the Washington Baltimore Center for Psychoanalysis in New Directions. And this is a program in psychoanalytic thinking. He's also an associate editor for Analytic Dialogues. He has contributed many book chapters and articles. He has also written um, two books, Comparative Integrative Psychoanalysis and the one we're going to discuss today, The Wrongful Conviction of Oscar Pistorius. And that particular book has been endorsed by three of the world's leading experts in sleep disorders for scientific accuracy. It can be found in the front of the book. Okay, so Brent, if I may call you Brent. I, let's see, so now I have established that you are a a very distinguished psychoanalyst and author. I'd like to find out how you originally became interested in the case of Oscar Pistorius and a little bit about the case, since I think it's possible that some people may not remember remember the details and other people may not know that this was a very high profile case with an international trial that emerged as a result of of something that occurred on February 14th in 2013. Yes, uh, sure. I'd be glad to do that, Karen. Um, Well, how I became interested, well, maybe I should say a little a word about who Oscar Pistorius is leading up to it, uh, since there might be someone who doesn't know. Uh, He was born in 1986 in uh, Pretoria, South Africa. And the birth was kind of awful in the sense that uh, he had below the knees, his legs were missing bones, uh, 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 toes, uh, uh, kind of uh, the image in my mind as if he had gone through a a meat grinder. And uh, his parents consulted a dozen physicians. Some said, uh, well, we can do a series of operations over many, many years or we can amputate his legs now. And his parents went for, let's amputate them now. So in his 11th month on the planet, that's what happened. And uh, uh, 
pretty traumatic start to his life. And then uh, he was fitted with prostheses and oddly enough, he became a very active kid. He had an older brother and he uh, followed him around everywhere, riding bikes, climbing trees, falling out of trees and kind of a rough and tumble boyish life. And uh, then as he got older, he became very interested in sports. Again, I'm amazed at this. <laughs> One would think a more bookish uh, uh, profession would appeal, but he became involved in sports until the point where he had a very serious rugby uh, injury and was in uh, rehab at the hospital. And a doctor suggested, maybe you better take up a uh, another kind of sport than heavy contact like you're into with rugby. You should uh, think about running. And Oscar did that. And he, I guess you could say, never looked back. Uh, he had a talent for it. I guess he was athletically talented anyhow, but uh, but especially for running. And uh, so he began going in uh, Paralympic kind of games and doing very, very well. And he aspired to go to the uh, regular Olympics. And uh, the quite a story leading up to that, but bottom line would be that in 2012 in London, he participated in the regular Olympics. And he was the, the story of the Olympics. He and Hussein Bolt, Hussein Bolt for being a super fast Jamaican runner uh, with a kind of a dramatic flair. And uh, Oscar for, holy cow, how could anyone who's been amputated before the age of one be in the Olympics? So these were the stories of the Olympics. And um, that was in 2012. Not too many months after that, uh, fast forward to Valentine's Day 2013, and uh, Oscar, uh, he's been dating Reva Steenkamp. Uh, uh, I guess she's described as being a very attractive model and uh, uh, a law student. And uh, 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 so uh, very impressive in her own right, as, as was Oscar. Oscar was known to those around the world as well, just amazing. He was on uh, the equivalent of Dancing with the Stars on Italian television and uh, 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 playing in celebrity golf tournaments for charities. And so Valentine's Day comes up and uh, they decide they will stay at Oscar's home and Riva will cook up some dinner and they will enjoy that. And they did. Um, and uh, then Oscar... Uh, goes to bed because she's that's what athletes do and um, uh, Reva stays up to do a bit of yoga because that's what young women do I guess <laughs> or sometimes men so uh, then uh, she comes to bed and in the middle of the night or really the early part of the night Oscar wakes up to take in a very tall fan that they had in the doorway, two fans actually, but the prominent tall fan. And he, he gets up to take that in, I guess. And he um, closes all the doors and blinds and drapes. And uh, then he's about to put Reva's jeans that are on the floor on top of a little LED device that's making some light in the room. He wants it as black as possible. While he's doing that, he hears a sound in the bathroom and, uh, uh, he immediately thinks there's an intruder uh, uh, and uh, 
uh, oh, well, I get that would be a natural thought in that the sense that his parents divorced when he was six and his mom moved the kids to a edgier part of town where there were more break-ins, very high crime rate everywhere in South Africa. And uh, so his mother would sleep with a gun under her pillow. And whenever she heard the slightest sound, she would leap out of bed, call 911, hustle the kids into her bedroom and wait there with her gun cocked until the police arrived. And they would always or almost always tell her there was no concern, there's no one around. So Oscar was used to this very panicky, uh, hyper aroused middle of the night scenario. And that sort of seemed what he went into when he heard this sound. And uh, he tells Reva to get down on the floor or under the bed, call the police. And uh, uh, he tells her he's going down the hall to investigate with his gun. And he goes down screaming at the top of his lungs uh, for the burglars or killers to get out of their home. And uh, there's no sound. And he approaches, um, they have like a bathroom stall inside the larger bathroom, which has the shower and tub and sink. And there's a stall in there. And uh, he hears a sound on the other side of the stall door that, meant to him that they're they're about to come out they're they're moving and so he fires his gun uh through the door four times and then he goes back to the bed to make sure reva's calm and there's no reva there uh whereupon he goes, oh my god maybe that was her in the bathroom he goes back he bashes down the door and uh, it's a bloody mess kind of kind of like his birth <clears throat> and uh uh, he uh, calls the um, uh, the security of the housing complex and he calls the hospital and he calls his neighbor a physician and uh, the neighbor arrives and uh, uh, the hospital told them, drive her yourself to the hospital because by the time the ambulance gets there, it'll be too late. And so he's got Reva's barely breathing body at the door and the physician friend comes in and Reva dies in his arms. Police arrive. The uh, police detective said, oh, said at least to himself, I've seen this a thousand times. Men get into jealous rages. They kill their their, their partner. And this is obviously what has happened. And uh, uh, Oscar explained his side of the story that he thought it was burglars coming to harm them. But uh, so they took him to jail, and the next day he gives his uh, bail uh, application, to, and uh, and uh, the bail magistrate accepted that, although he made some interesting comments that we'll get to later, no doubt. And uh, yeah, then Oscar eventually goes to court, a little different than the American system. It's, there's no jury. There's a judge, a judge and her helper. And um, uh, she believed Oscar's story uh, as opposed to the prosecutions that it was a jealous rage. Uh, she believed his story. Um, uh, she mentions four things that made no sense to her, but she said she was, uh, despite the fact that the court has to make sense of all evidence, she was going to proceed and sentence him for what we'd call manslaughter. They call culpable homicide. Uh, 
And so he was sentenced for maybe around seven years, uh, uh, approximately. And uh, then, I don't know, there were some appeals. I don't know if he wanted to go into that, but things got worse for him by the appeals. Uh, uh, the Supreme Court of Appeal uh, s agreed with the prosecution that this, they, they said, yes, this is murder, because he may not have been trying to murder Riva, but that doesn't matter. If you fire four bullets into a cubicle, you're, you know you're probably going to kill somebody. So we'll call it murder and we'll increase his sentence to the minimum, which is 15 years. And uh, so, and then Oscar's to prison. Now, let's see. So, oh, how did I get involved in it? You said, yes, yes, thank you, Karen. Um, uh, uh, yes, so I was writing something else about another kind of violent case, but, uh, and there was something that reminded me of the Oscar case, and I wanted to go and retrieve a little detail that might be relevant to this thing I was writing. And uh, I must say that there must be, uh, uh, if not a God, the equivalent of a God that guides one some places because I can't quite fathom it. Up came this thing, the, the uh, Judge Masipa's judgment, and it was very, very detailed, weighing all the evidence and the expert testimony. And then she's getting towards the end and she says, there's four things about your narrative, Mr. Pistorius, that make absolutely no sense to me. And she listed them. And uh, uh, when I say divine or something, uh, they immediately made sense to me. And uh, uh, well, uh, as a sleep and dreaming disorder, uh, which uh, we'll I'm sure we'll get into later. But uh, so I uh, started to think about it and read everything I could about it. And, wondered how, how could I be of help? Because I became quite convinced that there was a very important alternative explanation to this. And um, uh, so, so I researched a lot and uh, uh, I thought, oh, well, I'll write an article. If I can do that, uh, that'll give some uh, credibility to my views or something. And uh, then, it, then it turned out, oh, I felt I had to say much more about sleep disorders and things. And so it became a book. And, uh, 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 but that's, yeah, that, that's, I'm still amazed that, that one, that the judgment came up, and two, that the things that puzzled the judge, to me as a certain type of psychologist, made eminent sense, even though, and they had baffled the uh, bail magistrate virtually the same points long before the trial. They had and he took care to put them into his thing. These things make no sense. But for sure, I'll grant you bail because you're not a danger to anyone. But um, uh, I can get into that, or maybe there's other things you want to ask me, Karen. Oh yes, I, I, well, I, this could be a course instead of a, a podcast, or it could at least be two. But we'll start with one. Uh, do you recall the four things the judge wrote that uh, piqued your interest? I, I sure do, Karen. Um, yes. Uh, so she she said, um, uh, Mr. Pistorius, if you heard a sound and thought it might be a burglar, surely you'd turn, surely anyone would turn to their partner and say, honey, did you hear that sound? And uh, 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 and she's right. 
In fact, a former girlfriend at trial said, yeah, that happened quite a few times. We would hear a sound or he would hear a sound and he would always ask me, uh, did you hear that sound? And typically she would say, I did, or it was just the wind or, and uh, nothing came of it. So the judge says, surely you would have told her. And yes, of course he would have. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, and, 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 well, she would have responded something and, uh, uh, and when she didn't respond to anything because she was in the bathroom, Oscar would instantly know she wasn't there or he would wake her up or uh, he would make sure she uh, heard it's very important. So, um, uh, and <clears throat> so I'm thinking in terms of sleep disorders and I think, um, uh, yes, he would have. He would have done what any person would have done if he had been fully awake. And sleep disorders or parasomnias is the sometimes called they're situations where your uh your brain is partly awake and partly asleep simultaneously and so if he had been fully awake uh, uh it occurred to me that yes he would have realized she hadn't responded to him he would have then realized she's not in the bed he would have then reasoned very easily she was in the bathroom he would have called out to her end of story so that was the judge's first point uh, the second point was said, uh, Oscar, you told uh, Riva to get down on the floor and call the police. Surely she would have said, uh, yep, I've got that there. Uh, I'll do that. And or don't go down the hall, the short hallway to the bathroom. Don't go down. Don't go near the bathroom. Uh, you'll get hurt. Let's go out the balcony or what. She would have responded to his instructions to call the police. And, and 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 when she didn't, of course, judge is right. He would have said, Riva, do you hear me? This is serious. Uh, call the police. Uh, so, yes. And it, I say in my mind to the judge, he would have done that if he had been 100% awake instead of X percent awake. And uh, then the judge says, uh, Mr. Pistorius, you're going down the hall yelling at the top of your lungs for them to get out of your home. Uh, surely Riva in the stall would have said, honey, honey, it's me. Uh, calm down. Don't shoot. Go back to bed. I'll be with you in a minute. Uh, um, uh, and of course she would have, and maybe she did. But in, uh, in uh, parasomnia, you may not hear too well. Uh, people, uh, it wasn't that there's different kinds of parasomnias. He wasn't in a deep sleepwalking state or anything, but he was, nonetheless, he didn't have all neurons operative, in my opinion. And so uh, he probably didn't hear her yelling. I'm sure she was yelling uh, at him to not shoot and calm down, uh, but uh, uh, he probably wasn't hearing that. But the judge, I agree, was absolutely right. Any, any person in a normal state of consciousness would have... Um, heard Riva, and, uh, and uh, uh, maybe he wasn't even calling out loud. So, but there's another case I can talk about later, but uh, sometimes people, when they're not firing on all cylinders, uh, they can think they're yelling at the top of their lungs, but nothing comes out, you know. Uh, so it's in these paradoxical uh, sleep disorder states. But Either way, judge is right. Uh, uh, if he had been able to yell, uh, and if he had been able to hear all that, no shots would have been fired. Then he goes back to the bed to, after he fires the four shots to check on Rifa, and uh, 
the judge says, or she says, why did you fire four shots, Mr. Pistorius? Uh, or she doesn't really ask him. But she says, it's, it's, it makes no sense that you fired four shots. I, I'm not sure why that doesn't make sense. Maybe, of course, it would be civilized to fire a warning shot or something, I suppose. But uh, I don't know uh, in a situation of panic, let alone sleep disorder, but just panic whether one thinks of such proper niceties. But uh, to my mind, thinking of sleep disorder, I, uh, people will sleep through like there's husbands who've shot their wives or even shot themselves and they sleep right through it and they wake up and they find their own leg bleeding or their wife injured or dead, uh, but they sleep right through bullets. And um, so I'm thinking, yeah, Oscar, probably just like you sleep through an alarm clock, uh, the first couple of rings maybe, but then you, it does wake you up. Well, uh, maybe the fourth shot, finally woke him up 100%. He was already X percent awake, but now he's 100% awake. He instantly sees that Reva's not in the bed. He instantly reasons that she must have been or could have been the one in the bathroom. All his, he's working 100% mental capacity at this point, but he was totally impaired up to that point. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that that's... In in all my research, uh, the books that have been written about it and articles, the only other puzzle that came out, Karen, was um, that the police had photographs of the scene that showed that he had not moved the big fan in out of the balcony doorway. He had not closed the doors. He had not closed the blinds. And the prosecutor, who was known as the bulldog, um, said, uh, this proves you're a lying murderer, Mr. Pistorius. You, you you couldn't have run out on that balcony if that fan was still blocking the way, could you? And Oscar said, no, I couldn't have. If, if, if that photograph were true, then my story would have been proved false because I couldn't have run out like I said I did and called to the neighbors and everyone for help. Uh, just, uh, But later I'll have witnesses that will show that the police rejigged this crime scene and i thought to myself there's no reason the police would rejig any crime scene because he had confessed instantly to everybody that he had killed riva and uh, so there's no reason they would do that on the other hand there's no reason oscar would uh tell lies about bringing in fans closing windows that would be trivia irrelevant so it didn't make sense that he either would be telling a falsehood whereupon Sigmund Freud came to my assistance <laughs> he, uh, he uh, in, in his monumental classic The Interpretation of Dreams he wrote about something called Dreams of Inconvenience and that's like well the most common example is if we need to urinate instead of waking up and getting up we dream we're at the toilet taking care of that and relieving ourselves and we continue sleeping and Freud has said a key function of dreams is to preserve sleep because we need sleep so badly. And uh, <clears throat> so it seemed to me that, that that was the only other puzzling element in the trial to me. Uh, um, no experts ever came to say the police rejigged the situation. That was Lord knows where uh, he, uh, Oscar dug that up. But uh, uh, so that he had, in my 
opinion, had been having a dream of convenience. He never got up to bring in the fan or close the drapes or anything. He dreamt he was doing all that. Uh, so it, very convenient. So he continued to get the restorative sleep. He needed to go rigorously train for the uh, for his professional athletic career. So, he, uh, But while he was having the dream of convenience, he, he heard a sound, probably there really was a sound of Reva either getting out of bed or closing the window in the bathroom, or, and that triggers him to be come into a partially awake state. Not not a, not 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 completely. Uh, sadly, if he had completely awake, he never would have gone anywhere near the bathroom uh, with any gun or anything. So that uh, that that was that was how I got involved in the case and. Um, I really don't quite know how I saw these things so clearly. They jumped out at me. I, I, I wish I could go back in time because it probably made sense, but now it just seems like it's divine intervention or something, it just or Jung's synchronicity or some, something that was meant to be or something. Uh, um, uh, uh, but I'm kind of glad it happened for sure. And uh, uh, it's been very interesting ever since that moment. Yeah, I'm just guessing uh, about this next thing I'm going to say, but I would imagine that people, this is this is more prevalent than people really talk about. Um, I was recalling as I, as I read your book that my father used to do something. He didn't get up, but it was clearly he was struggling and he would talk in his sleep about war. And it seemed like he was fighting in his sleep about the war. And when he was asked in the morning, he had no recollection of that at all. I just assumed it was a nightmare, but it was a clear physical struggle he was having. Yes. So yes. I guess that maybe that's one form. I don't know, but it just. I think so. I think so, because, you know, uh, well, uh, in sleep, were supposed to, Freud said the access to motility is closed off. He was talking about dreams in particular during REM sleep, but it's generally true when we're certainly during dreams, unless we have a sleep disorder. And, uh, and generally, uh, uh, well, uh, yeah, I think your dad must have been dreaming. And, uh, and so Freud says the access to motility is closed off neurophysiologically. Yeah except when it isn't <laughs> and as in your dad's case and um uh and uh, and yeah so he's moving his arms he's he's speaking words he's obviously having visualizations of war and uh yeah it is much more common than we think um uh, uh whenever i talk about this people people come up with the most interesting of examples that they've done or intimate people in their lives have done uh, much more common uh yeah well in surveys two percent of people say they've done violent things in their sleep um so that's pretty high two percent um yeah uh and others may not remember that they've done them uh yeah and others may not talk about it uh, yeah precisely <laughs> survey that way there's there's one particular case that you talk about in your book you just briefly say something about it I, because i think it illustrates this very clearly and that's the case of ken and karen parks specifically ken and what happened to him 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's uh, that's up in my neck of the woods, uh, just outside of Toronto. That happened, and uh, uh, Kenneth, a uh, young man, no criminal history, um, no violent history. Uh, uh, he, he went to the racetrack one night and did well on his first visit, and he believed he might have a special knack for picking the winners and uh, thought that'd be great I can get earn some money and I can send my wife to her native Australia to visit her family and uh, I'll, I'll, that'll be nice uh, I was going to say I'll be a hero I don't know if that's what he thought but uh, that's my projection so but he kept on losing and losing as one tends to do in these gambling endeavors and so he he began taking money from their joint bank account. He began, worst, he began defrauding his company, uh, uh, taking money. <clears throat> they finally caught on and uh, uh, and confronted him and fired him. So he mortgaged the house to pay them back so they wouldn't take him to uh, court. And, uh, uh, but... Uh, created great stress in their marriage and in their life. Uh, he's uh, he's unemployed. Their house is up for uh, remortgage, and uh, so his wife said, "Look, you've got to you've got to tell our parents and your grandma what's going on here." Uh, and uh, 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 so he said, "Yeah, okay, I will on the uh, on Saturday." And uh, Saturday came, and uh, his wife's off working as a nurse, Karen. And he doesn't. He goes play rugby instead. Seems rugby comes into the story uh, again. And um, uh, she's furious. And he says, look, look, I'll tell them tomorrow uh, when we go to your parents for the barbecue. I'll, I'll, I'll tell them uh, all that I've screwed up on. And uh, so that night before going to the barbecue, uh, and he's been insomniac for two weeks, maybe longer, and insomnia is it really facilitates parasomnia, so it does things to the brain chemistry. And uh, so, he, 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 but he does fall asleep this night. Uh, but unbeknownst to him, he wakes up and he drives to his in-laws in the middle of the night. And uh, 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 about the same time of night when these things are quite likely to happen. But he drives to his in-laws. He's asleep, really. He doesn't know it. But he drives to his in-laws uh, for 14 miles. Uh, um, amazing. Uh, and he gets there. He takes a tire iron from the trunk of his car. He remembered to bring the key to their home. He opens it. He goes in. He almost kills his stepfather, stepfather, his uh, father-in-law, and he, there was mutual love between these three people. Uh, he liked them. He got along better than he did with his own parents with them. Uh, 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 the mother called him her gentle giant. He's a big guy. And, uh, and he succeeds in killing her. And, uh, and he, uh, he runs up the stairs to tell the adult children in the bedroom, kids, kids, nothing to worry about. Uh, you're in no danger. They later heard no words coming out of his mouth. They heard rah, 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 sounds like you might make if you were asleep. So that goes back to what I was saying about Oscar speaking to Reva and not hearing Reva and all that. Uh, so 
he drives himself to the police station. His hands are all really badly bloodied, uh, nerves and tendons cut, and tells the police, I think I've killed two people. And they take him to the trauma center at the hospital to be stitched up. And uh, uh, then um, he wonders if he killed his wife because he doesn't know. He says, I don't know what happened. I fell asleep. And then the next thing I know, I wake up over the body of my mother-in-law with her having this helpless, help me look on her face. And I don't remember what happened from falling asleep to then. And uh, uh, he made up a weird, he said, the only thing I think has happened is some people drugged my Kool-Aid that I was drinking that night and uh, dragged me into their van and drove me to the scene of the crime and I woke up when I was there and tried to take the knife away from them and got my hand cut and woke up as they were killing my in-laws and he said I know that story doesn't make any sense but it makes more sense than driving 14 miles uh, along the highway in the middle of the night in my sleep uh, it's a better story than that um, uh, so uh, but the, um, the the lawyer he had she was married to a psychologist, a forensic psychologist, I guess. And uh, he worked, she worked across the street from me. He worked in my building. And um, the two of them, I guess, and other experts began to think, could this be a parasomnia? Could he have done all this in his sleep? And so they got a lot of prominent experts to come into the case and, uh, and, they were very skeptical at first that this could happen in one sleep, but um, they became convinced the more they got into it that it was parasomnia. And uh, interestingly, I mean, one of the things experts look for is, it. well, does the person have an individual or family history of parasomnia? And uh, <clears throat> there was um, only one incident of Kenneth in his um, when he was 11 years old, he was in the middle of the night, he was about to go out a seventh floor balcony window and he would have fallen probably to his death if a family member hadn't happened by more divine intervention and grabbed his leg and, um, and saved him. But that was the only incident in Kenneth's personal history. And it came from many years back. I later found out from well, I can go into that later, maybe, about Oscar having similarly just one, but an important incident in his early life. So, uh, Kenneth, the experts come. They're so convincing in their presentation that the defense experts, no, the prosecution experts say, look, we don't have anything to say. It's clearly parasomnia. And they. Uh, so he was acquitted. He was told to go into psychotherapy, Um uh, I don't even know quite the reasoning on that. I, maybe just the feeling that if you've murdered your wife's mother and almost her father, uh, you're going to have some issues that are going to need help. So he did that. Plus there's some medication you can take to regulate your sleep, sleep waves. So uh, you don't have, in his case, simultaneous sleep and wake waves going at the same time. You uh, tone that down. I don't know if he would have had that if he hadn't had chronic insomnia and ginormous stress of having to go humiliate himself in front of his in-laws by confessing that he had totally messed up badly and uh, wasn't quite the individual he wanted them to think he was. 
so profound shame. Uh, I don't think if he didn't have this kind of stuff propelling him that he would have had parasomnia probably. But anyhow, the last I heard of him, he was doing well. He was remarried. His wife had stuck by him throughout everything, but eventually, I guess she couldn't, and one can understand that. Uh, but he remarried, had more kids, and was running for trustee of the school board, the last I heard of him. Um, whereupon people in the community said, what? Uh, no. <laughs> um, but uh, I, so I imagine he didn't get that position, but at least he was wanting to be civically involved and contributing. And yeah, so, uh, so th that case uh, was, yeah, compelling to me, educational to me in terms of the strange things that can go on in one's sleep. And, uh, Oscars is a different parasomnia, but there's a, so many different ones. People get up and have sleep sex and they're snoring while they're having intercourse. Um, it, it's, uh, uh, or they get up and cook meals uh, in the night and they have, develop an obesity problem that they don't know hardly where it's coming from. Uh, sometimes the meals, they don't eat them. That's okay for obesity. But sometimes they cook them up with, oh, we'll put some of this cleaning powder that's under the sink in and toxic substances and so it's just quite remarkable the combination of good judgment bad judgment or fully alertness and fully asleepness kind of yeah well i i have a, another question about oscar but it is quite interesting i would imagine that that this occurs more than we know uh, in a higher percentage of people than we know about. Yeah. I looked through the psychoanalytic literature and I didn't really find very much at all. There's your article. <laughs> Not too much else. No, uh, no. Yes, it's the only article that has the word parasomnia in the title is, is mine. And the only other article in the um, uh, Pat Webb literature, which is pretty... Uh, enormous is a footnote in one article that mentions that word parasomnia but um yeah it's pretty absent um in that article that i wrote for psychoanalytic psychology there's a second case i discuss and it's um uh, it's very hair raising and uh it's what, about what i would call nightmare enactment uh where i believe a 20 year old university student uh, uh, I won't go into details, but horrifically killed three out of four members of his family uh, and uh, in the middle of the night. And uh, 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 he reported that, uh, that he had observed this happening from the bathroom, uh, had tried to intervene, eventually chased the killers off. Uh, but there was no evidence of any killers, any breaking into the home totally securely gated community uh, with barbed wire and electronic devices and security guards and patrols. 20-year-old uh, uh, university student uh, under some stress, for sure, uh, definitely, and some reason to be angry at his family, uh, um, for sure. But it, so that that's uh, interesting in terms of the intersection of dream theory and uh, sleep disorder theory. The Oscar is not so much about dream theory, except for uh, that he was probably in a dream of convenience when he woke up. So he was 
in, in an altered state of consciousness already. But from there on, he wasn't enacting a dream, I don't think. Whereas this other young South African did seem to be enacting a nightmare. And uh, so I think it's quite interesting uh, that psychoanalysis has a lot to um, uh, share with uh, sleep researchers and and vice versa. Yeah, there's... Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, what I was thinking about as you were talking about Oscar's uh, situation with his mother early on, I mean, we know as child and adolescent psychoanalysis and, and adult psychoanalysis as well, that childhood experiences are so important so that they moved to a neighborhood that was not particularly safe and not there were break-ins, and I imagine he was scared as a, a, a youngster. That yeah. plays such a role. So it seems like there are precursors to these things. Uh, yes, yes, yeah, very clearly in Oscar's case. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, precursors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what I was uh, thinking of earlier, the incident when he was um, in his late teens, uh, he and his uh, uh, cousins always used to go to their grandparents uh, by the seaside where they had a, 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 a condominium. Uh, the uh, Usually the youngsters would go out at night to party and they knew they had to be in by midnight. But if they didn't, they would climb up the four flights on the balconies uh, and they knew they could get into their grandparents by the balcony door. And uh, uh, so the situation is a little bit reminiscent of Oscar's uh, uh, balcony door being open the night the intruders supposedly came in. but. Oscar, one night, he didn't go out with them because he was seriously training for athletics. And so he was sleeping on the couch because he had uh, short legs when he takes his prosthesis off and he was the only one who could get a good night's sleep on the couch. So after midnight comes and he hears a sound, which is his cousins coming in the balcony door, and uh, he immediately thinks it's dangerous intruders and he hobbles again as he did with Riva Steenkamp, he hobbles this time to his grandparents' bed and jumps into their bed between them and says, there's an intruder, there's an intruder. And uh, they're quite startled that this very strong athletic guy is jumping in like a frightened child between them. And obviously his reasoning hasn't woken up, not his, not his good full reasoning. Otherwise he would have just said, oh, those assholes coming back after party and they're probably drunk and uh, checked it out and uh, told them to shut the f up and all <laughs> but, but but no he, he I, I, his brain was not fully awake so that's like kenneth parks I had just one previous incident but i guess we can say those can be very significant and not to be taken too lightly uh uh, uh maybe well maybe especially Oscar's having when he's, I think, 19 years old. So a uh, young adult kind of, uh, uh, yeah, so precursors of various sorts. And uh, 
well, I guess who knows how to take these things, but maybe at least in the context of this conversation, maybe we should take them a little more seriously than we do. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so moving forward, um, I, I read on March 31st uh, in several papers, what was the LA Times? This was, all, I think this was a major newspapers probably around the world. Yes, it was, yeah. I think it happened on March 30th, but I read it on the 31st that Oscar was denied parole and will have to serve it at least a year, 0.3, a year and three months more. I don't know if it's a foregone conclusion that it'll be paroled after that. I imagine it isn't. Right. Uh, there's something I'd like to quote from the LA Times. The parole board uh, cited a new clarification on Pistorius's sentence that was issued by South Africa's Supreme Court of Appeal just three days before the hearing. A little bit later on, um, still quoting, still legal experts criticized authorities' decisions to go ahead with the hearing when Pistorius was not eligible. So uh, it seems to me that the, the Supreme Court decided he wasn't eligible for parole, but they had the hearing anyway. Um, do, you, do you have thoughts about how this news may have affected Oscar. I mean, one could speculate, certainly wasn't good news, but I, I wondered if you had any thoughts about that. Yeah, well, it's, uh, yes, it's an important point, Karen. Uh, the we even weirder is the fact that this happened about a year earlier. Uh, Oscar came to the parole board and fully thinking he'd get out, because as far as I can tell, he's been supermodel prisoner. He. Uh, he's from a very religious family, and uh, they, Oscar in prison was holding Bible study groups and prayer groups, and uh, uh, some very rough characters, uh, gang members in the prison were coming to his groups, because uh, he's a national hero, really, uh, before he fell off his pedestal, but uh, so they come to his groups, and the warden, I'm told, just loves Oscar, because the whole temperature of the prison has come down uh, because of people having this hero amongst themselves who's telling them about God and Jesus and whatever else. And um, so uh, I think, and he, I think he was, had a vegetable garden growing in the courtyard and uh, all kinds of things that are very constructive. And so uh, I'm sure he would have been, got the green light out of prison. Uh, but at that parole hearing a year before this March, they 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 quarreled, they argued, oh no, we made a mistake. You haven't really served half your time and that's what you got to serve to appeal. So they must have known before the actual uh, venue, uh, the actual parole hearing, they must have known at least the day before, probably long before. But uh, so his hopes go to this hearing and then they're dashed with, with a, a weirdness of reasoning, but okay, uh, mistakes do happen. But then a year or so later, he goes again to the parole on the supposed time when he's now for sure done half his sentence. And um, uh, uh, the, the dispute had to do with how much time he had served uh, 
on the previous conviction for manslaughter, a culpable homicide, all that. <clears throat> but there's there's no secrets to it. It's all written in ink, kind of. But uh, so yes, this March he goes to the parole board, and again they tell him, no, no, you haven't really served half your sentence. You've got to wait until <clears throat> a, a year plus four months. Now that begins to defy uh, comprehension. And so you say the LA Times says many legal authorities are critical, <clears throat> maybe baffled, I don't know. I'm both baffled and since baffled, therefore critical, but uh, maybe there's some reason, but it sure hasn't been put out there uh, to the public as uh, why, how they could possibly have made uh, a blunder a second time. It makes, there's quite a few things about this case, that the more I get into it, that make no sense. But uh, this is this is one that just seems, so how has it affected Oscar? Well, he would have been devastated. Um, uh, I know his legal team planned to appeal it, but I haven't heard of any appeal happening, whether an appeal can happen in the, sometimes those things are slow and maybe they're just waiting uh, till next August, uh, but it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of beyond baffling. And uh, there are, yeah, well, I don't want to, you probably you have questions. I could go on about other things that are baffling about this trial. And I will, if you ask me to, but you might have other questions you want to ask. Well, I have some, but I'm also interested in what you have to say. Uh, I'll just ask a, a couple. I wondered if you ever had any contact with him, whether you tried to contact him or maybe you it know, wasn't feasible. I don't know. It was not easy, um, uh, uh, but finally I did. Um, uh, his father got a copy of his book to me, and I had tried to get letters to Oscar Maybe one of them finally came through. Uh, he, he did write me a long letter. Yeah. And uh, uh, he, uh, it, w what he said, he said, um, your book provides a, uh, a compelling explanation of what might have happened that night. It's not an excuse. I'm not looking for an excuse, but it did provide uh, an explanation you know the night before his sentencing he was on British television and he said uh, things like what could have possibly happened to this day I don't know what could have possibly happened and I thought that was interesting because his story made well sort of made coherent sense except for the huge holes in it <laughs> his story that he thought it was intruders but Anyhow, he said, what could possibly have happened? And um, so I guess when he says my book provided him a, an explanation, a plausible explanation of what might have happened. And uh, uh, he encouraged me to speak with a psychologist who was involved with his case, which I did. And that was interesting. And uh, so that was that's really my only contact. He said to me, uh, I can't send or receive messages really here because everything is um, scrutinized, surveilled by the prison authorities, my phone calls, my mail. <laughs> but he gave me the name of a, a friend of his with whom I could uh, send a message and talk if, uh, if, 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 if that was needed. And I did talk with her and uh, 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 I've had some contact with his father and uh, it was an aunt of his who sent me that very important piece of information from when Oscar was 19 and 
uh, couldn't figure out that his cousins were coming back from partying. Uh, so, uh, but I've had kind of very little direct contact with him and his family. Uh, uh, would have liked for more, but uh, but it's been, I would say, surprisingly little. I wonder if you're still writing about these issues beyond Oscar's case. Yeah, Karen, I, it seems I am. Uh, I, you know... I've invested, I don't know, maybe emotionally, I've cathacted, I've invested so much into this, I guess, that I want to try to see it through. To I don't want it just to be a book that gets up in the remainder bin or something. Uh, I, I wanted it to have uh, an impact. And um, so, so I did write that article for Psychoanalytic Psychology, one of the journals of the American Psychological Association. And all... Um, then, then I got the idea. Uh, I'm there's not, I'm not having any luck with getting any conversation about this going in South Africa. His family is hardly speaking to me, except for maybe his father and that. And uh, the media, whenever I reach out to them, like if I see something that they've written or interviewed uh, about this on. Uh, on radio or television, I write to them and say, look, maybe you'd be interested in another perspective on this case. And they never are. They either don't respond or they say thank you. And uh, they, they never are interested, which um, which totally intrigues me. I, 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 they seem locked in the two possible stories, either that it was a regrettable accident or he's a liar and he killed her in a fit of jealous rage. They seem locked in that battle, but not very open to another hypothesis. So, so I said, well, I'll try and write something for a law journal in South Africa and see if I can get some, maybe the lawyers would be interested. Or at any rate, it would give more credibility to, uh, and ammunition to Oscar if he ever decided to appeal. And um, so I wrote something for a law journal and... Uh, 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 they asked for revisions, and that's where that's at. It's under process of review. I'm I'm very strongly hoping they will publish it. I think it's a good article. It's got a lot of interesting stuff in it. But yeah, so I, I don't know that I'd be writing anything else, although I didn't expect to be writing any of these things. So uh, I, I don't have any plans to write anything, but I sure hope this law journal thing uh, gets in there. And uh, uh, yeah. I don't know why the media, why no one in the media has any interest. Um, uh, it, uh, uh, so there's a lot of things that puzzle me about the case. Maybe someday I will see through a glass, not darkly. <laughs> it seems like I'd like to read um, a, a paragraph from the end of the book, because it seems like you're hopeful this is the paragraph, the scientific dreaming and parasomnia perspective should enable Reva's parents and Oscar to one day soon have a very different conversation rather than angry confrontation. Their newly scientifically informed dialogue could instead become a healing communion. Rest in peace, sweet Reva. Now, somewhat older and wiser, Oscar, may you also come to increasingly rest in peace. May the ideas in this book 
help all who care about these two individuals and the families and friends to move easily beyond this, realizing the events of St. Valentine's Day 2013 was almost certainly a horrific tragedy, not a heinous crime. So I'm taking from that, you must think at some point, science will catch up with or move beyond these ideas. People have these fixed ideas that uh, they can't take in this new information. Yes, yes. Uh, yes, I do have that very strong hope. I, I know in wrongful convictions, it's uh, I've heard people who are trying to reverse wrongful convictions saying what a long and difficult battle it is. So apparently that's the case, uh, as if not just the legal system, but maybe those of us who sort of believe somewhat in the legal system don't want to hear that it gets things wrong. I'm not sure what the cognitive dissonance is there, but uh, apparently it's true uh, kind of across the board. Um, uh, but wrongful convictions are uh, getting overturned with greatly increasing frequency in 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 the United States. Um, it's about three a week now, and uh, uh, and maybe would be more if there are more resources available. But what resources are had? It's three a week, and uh, and these people have on average been in prison for fourteen years, and. Uh, so there's more openness, at least in the United States. But I think so. That's even creeping into my country, Canada. Uh, they're starting to look a little more at that, and in England, and uh, uh, and hopefully South Africa. Yeah, so I really do hope uh, that science will prevail. Uh, it's often science of one form or the other. Of course, we know of DNA evidence uh, exonerating some people, but often in cases of so-called arson murder, it's being proved that there wasn't arson at all. They have no, more scientific standards for ascertaining now whether a fire was deliberately set or accidentally set. And uh, a lot of cases for ar uh, that had been convicted for arson murder, people are being let out. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm hoping it's not quick. I, yes, I say in that paragraph uh, that the Steen, Mr. and Mrs. Steenkamp may find some relief from this perspective. I, th I think they would to know that at least she hadn't been, well, deliberately killed. Deliberately would have been sort of in a momentary insanity anyhow, but any, uh, they, they, they want him to confess that he did this deliberately and uh so in the south african system before you can get bail you have to have an attempted reconciliation with the victims or the, the parents in this case and uh oscar was flown across the country to where reva's parents live to have this dialogue but i guess the parents must have changed their mind and so months and months and months went by with this meeting not happening. Finally, the father only met with Oscar. The wife, his wife refused. And apparently it was an important meeting. Maybe both were in tears and, and it was very emotional anyhow. And, uh, uh, but then afterward, I guess 
Mr. Pistorius aligned with his wife, and yes, we will not accept any any parole until he admits he did it, and that's adamantly her position. So I, she's probably not in any mood to read a book such as mine. I, I wish she would, because it's not meant to be polemical. It's meant to be uh, applying science of dream theory and sleep disorders, but uh, that maybe that would I said soon in that paragraph, I can see that word was, <laughs> has not proven to be accurate. Uh, but no one would have predicted that having said they would meet with him to have a potentially reconciliatory dialogue, no one would have presumed that would never happen, uh, at least as far as Mrs. Pistorius is concerned. Uh, but maybe the impact of trauma, obviously, of course, they're all traumatized, uh, and she, perhaps above all else, but uh, Mrs. Pistorius, and maybe the whole country is in a state of trauma. For Pistorius was, uh, he was almost next to Mandela and Nelson Mandela in terms of being a national hero in their pantheon of people doing the impossible. And uh, I think socioculturally when that happens, it's... Uh, kind of a, a national trauma and uh, and maybe there's a tendency to want to or an inability to think maybe but or a wish not to think about it just to close the chapter and uh and move on case closed and uh courts found him guilty great should have given him more years no doubt but it will we'll, we'll, we'll let it be right? yeah well, I think that this is, uh, well, it reminds me of the work that we do. Sometimes people get very fixated in one way of thinking and can't look at another perspective. It's just, yeah. this is the way it is, and that's that. And yeah. of course, those people are much harder to work with because nothing, no other possibilities seem like it enters the system. Yes, Quite, yes, totally correct. Yeah. Yes, we're very used to that in our clinical work. Unfortunately, that's a, that's a verity. But uh, I was, I guess, surprised to learn um, how true it is uh, everywhere, apparently, uh, uh, everywhere where there's trauma and feelings. And, uh, yeah, so I guess that's been important learning for me. Yeah, I mean, in the United States now, there's such a divide. And people on one side are as convinced as they can be that X is the situation. It's not. It could be. It might be. Let's discuss it. It's, yeah. It is. Yeah. Like yeah. Books being banned from elementary schools. I mean, really? <laughs> or yeah. high schools just banning books. I mean, when did we start banning books? I know. I know. We thought that was many maybe hundreds of years ago yeah i know i know yeah we're learning a lot about ourselves uh or them or them and us or what we are yeah. it's a rude awakening i guess yeah. uh, i guess i guess someone would say could say we've been sleepwalking or something uh, uh yeah yeah and now we're rudely awakened yeah well, is there anything else? Obviously, we could talk for a long, long time. The book is is wonderful. I I, I do hope people, I hope people buy it. And um, 
there's actually a special opportunity, as I recall, that uh, this is a, a special Kindle uh, book, or there's a special Kindle feature in June, and people can buy it for, I believe it's 99 cents. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. For the month of June, it's called a Kindle special feature. So yeah, it's uh, very affordable. If any, I hope people, some people listening are interested because it tells what we're talking about in yeah. a lot of detail and about other cases too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a it's a wonderful book. Um, I wonder if there's anything else you would like listeners to know about. There's so much, but anything in particular that you think is important that we had covered. Uh, thanks. I'd love to go on at great length, but uh, is there anything I feel really should, needs to be told at this point? Um, uh, no, 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 uh, no. I guess in my more proselytizing mode, I'd say I do hope some people will read it and maybe tell their friends. I just feel the more people who know about this issue in general of parasomnia, not just its criminal applications, but uh, but the more people who know about this, uh, yeah, it could be doing someone a great favor to uh, gift them a ninety-nine cent Kindle book. I, I'm, I'm so that that would be my hope that the word gets around. Uh, I, I think it's important and can be enlightening, uh, and happens far more in our personal lives or in the lives of our nations. Uh, that, that that we need to be. Uh, more awake to it uh, otherwise some things go quite wrong yeah yeah i would imagine uh, which i alluded to earlier that people have a grandmother or an aunt or somebody in their family many people anyway who've had some kind of sleep irregularity yeah. so it seems like it's an area where more study is certainly uh in order yeah 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 yeah, and uh, and I think uh, where our our work as uh, you and I as psychotherapists or psychoanalysts, I think that comes into it. It's not something that sleep disorders people usually think about, but I think that Kenneth Parks, I don't know if he had been, if he could have been in therapy or analysis, uh, that he wouldn't have had these stresses build up that propelled him into this thing. He wouldn't have had this nocturnal um uh volcano uh happening that that uh, that, that so it's an argument for what you and I do so much of be it uh, child or adult uh, therapy it's an argument for how helpful that can be in lowering the uh the stress level the conflict level the the defensive level uh, to being able to speak about things instead of enacting them and uh so that I hope will come from it too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it was wonderful having you as a guest. Maybe there'll be an occasion for you to come back. Maybe there'll be new developments that we can talk about. That well, that would be good. Or your law article. Let's see what emerges from that. Okay. That, that, that would be great. Thank you, Karen. I would be delighted. I have been delighted to talk to you this hour and would be delighted at any future time. Well, I'm also delighted. It's wonderful to meet you in person and um, hopefully we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. <laughs>